Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. There's just one week to go until the future of the nation is decided. <laughs> I can barely wait. If you haven't made up your mind yet, what are you waiting for? The last leaders debate tomorrow night, the final battle bus moment on Wednesday afternoon. Are you going to flip a coin next Thursday to help you make up your mind? Decision time has never been clearer though if you listen to all the pundits and all the uh, politicians because we are told it's either the hard left Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn with his revolutionary manifesto to spend hundreds of billions of borrowed pounds or it's the Conservative steady-as-you-go lot uh, to get Brexit done with Boris Johnson, which we are told at the moment is slightly edging the contest. Meanwhile, you might want to vote for the Brexit party before their candidates are resigning this morning and suggesting you give your vote to the Tories. Or you might like the revoked Article 50 crowd from the Lib Dems after Joe Swinson appeared on the Andrew Neil show last night. And a lot of people think... She didn't do too badly. At least she actually turned up. We'll be talking to James Cleverly, chairman uh, of the Conservative Party this morning, to find out what he thinks is going to happen. 0344 499 1000. Today's election offerings include homes for the homeless from Labour. That's right. Uh, apparently they're going to give checkers away as well. Uh, that's quite a long way from London, checkers. I don't know how people are going to get there. Plus there's going to be a tax cut from the Tories in the form of an increased threshold for national insurance, which apparently is going to make us all richer to the tune of, wait for it, £85 a year. Isn't that great? I spent more on my lunch yesterday. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we'll be asking how YouTube is still allowing Islamist hate preachers to ply their ghastly trade online, why Christmas markets are so tatty, and what on earth is going on with that tree in Trafalgar Square. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station in the world. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, as ever, of course, we want to hear from you because you are the most important people in this election. You are the people who are going to choose the next government. And therefore, uh, here is the number you need to call us on, 0344 499 1000, because we're going to speak now uh, to James Cleverly, chairman of the Conservative Party, candidate uh, for Braintree. Uh, very good morning to you, James. Mike, good morning, mate. Now, let me ask you the burning question of the day. Who on earth allowed that Christmas tree to be erected in Trafalgar Square? I mean, it looks absolutely ghastly. I, 
I genuinely, I haven't seen it. <laughs> Have I, you not? This is, no, this is really, this is weird. I, uh, the, the byproduct of being chairman of the Conservative Party in the middle of a general election campaign is I've been all over the place. I've been up in my bit of lovely Essex, but I've also been all uh, around other parts of the country. I'm currently in Barrow in Furness, okay. uh, up in Cumbria. And so I've seen a load of fantastic Christmas trees, but I haven't seen the one in Trafalgar Square. So not, not me. Guys. OK, all right. Well, let's get on to the tax promises then instead. Front page of the Times sure. this morning, uh, Boris Johnson pledging that it will be a tax-cutting budget. Now, by the looks of things, uh, the, the threshold for national insurance will be raised to £9,500, which saves an average of 85 quid a year. Is that it, or is there more? Well, no, there's uh, a number of things. So that is, that is significant. And I know if you're on, you know, big money, that might not feel very much. But for a lot of people on low income... Um, every penny makes a difference and uh, allowing them to keep more of the money that they earn is a big part of the Conservative philosophy. So we've already increased the threshold for income tax. We're going to match. So we're going to increase the threshold for national insurance so that they get to keep more money. Plus, we said we're not going to increase VAT. Plus, we said we're not going to increase the um, income tax rates. So what that means is altogether... Is wor all working families will be better off, but the families that are, or the people that are going to be disproportionately benefited from this are going to be the people on lower incomes because they're the ones that we, we want to look after first and we want to look after most. I mean, this has been branded the giveaway budget because so many things have been promised, so much uh, free stuff, so much kind of uh, reduced fees for things like rail fares from the Labour Party, free broadband, that kind of thing. I mean, the Institute for Fiscal Studies has said both you and the Labour Party's policies uh, are pretty much uh, not credible financially. Well, I don't, uh, I don't agree with that uh, assessment. Certainly, I don't agree with that assessment of, um, of our policies. Uh, we've been, we've been criticised because we've had to make some tough decisions over the last 10 years to help the British economy recover from the nightmare that we inherited. Um, and we recognise that, that you know, public services do need proper funding. And uh, we've been increasing the funding for public services, but frankly, we'd like to go further. And, and because we made those difficult decisions and because we balanced the economy, because we kept businesses going, because we helped uh, keep unemployment down and uh, uh, unemployment at record high levels, we've got some financial headroom. And we're doing now what we have always wanted to do, which is make sure that you know, our public services are properly funded, make sure people have got money in their pocket, make sure we can keep their taxes low and keep them in work. This is what we've always wanted to do, but it's taken us, it's taken us the best part of 10 years to sort out the nightmare we inherited from Labour. Yeah, but you're going to inherit uh, another nightmare, perhaps, if you become the, uh, the victors on Thursday next week, but you'll be inheriting it from yourselves, surely, after 10 years. Well, we, we, had, to make, we had to make tough decisions and, and difficult and sometimes unpopular decisions. Um, but, but, you know, we've always understood, the Conservatives have always understood that there is a, a natural balance between uh, the private sector being successful and the public sector being properly funded. And you've got to do both. You can't have one without the other. They are both important. Labour don't get that. Labour, Labour would break the economy, some of the stuff they're saying about the about the private sector renationalizing everything with 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 money that they you know claim is going to come from the top five percent of earners but we now discover is actually going to come from some of the poorest and lowest paid people in the country we're not about that we're not going to do that what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that businesses continue growing and 
you know, once we get Brexit done, that will unlock all that international investment that's been waiting in the wings, ready to come and invest in the UK, give, give the UK economy a real boost. And that's how we're going to be paying for that extra money in our, you know, the NHS pledge that we're going to put in the Queen's speech, the money that's going to go into uh, schools, the money that's going to go into recruiting those 20,000 police officers. That's where it's going to come from. It's going to come from the economic boost that we'll get once this Brexit uncertainty is taken off the table. And as far as Brexit is concerned, um, have you got a number in mind of a, of a majority that you feel that you need to get Brexit done? Because get Brexit done has been the Tory party mantra now for quite some time. Um, do you know a, a number in your head? You don't have to tell me what it is, but I'd like it if you could. <laughs> but, I mean, is there a number? So the whole time that I've been uh, kind of actively involved in frontline politics, you know, the Conservative Party has not had a stable working majority. So I, I haven't got a particular number. You know, we, we know that if we could just win, say, nine extra seats, that would give us, you know, a working majority. That's that's all we would need to get this done. And then we could get this through because every single one of our candidates has said that they will back the deal that the Prime Minister negotiated. But the bottom line, in the whole of my political life, we have never had a stable majority. So at this stage, you know what, if I, if I can deliver the Prime Minister a stable Conservative majority so we can get that Brexit legislation through the House as soon as we get to work, so we can get that, you know, um, the, 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 the income tax, sorry, the, the national insurance contribution threshold increased, you know, that would feel like all my Christmases come at once, to be perfectly honest with you. And so do you feel now that the, the, the sort of the game is up, as it were, because Boris Johnson, I think, is on this morning, this morning, uh, daytime TV. He's got another election debate coming up with Jeremy Corbyn tomorrow night. Um, I was talking to a strategist yesterday, I won't say from what side of the, the, the fence, but who said it looks as though to them the Tory party has kind of uh, folded in the whole campaigning bus routine and is now just kind of going to coast down to Thursday uh, uh, in the hopes that nothing terrible happens? We are campaigning hard. I mean, as I say, I'm up in Bowery and Furness. This is a constituency that we are hoping to, to win. Um, and I've been, at a number of, uh, I've been at a number of constituencies around the country. Um, you know, we are working hard for every single vote because, you know, I'm very, very conscious, very conscious that at the last general election, everybody was talking about a comfortable conservative win. You know, people were talking about you know, ridiculously big majorities and all this kind of stuff. And what we ended up with is a hung parliament. And everybody that I speak to, irrespective of whether they're you know, intending to vote conservative or not, the horror that everybody is trying to avoid is another hung parliament because nothing can get done. So, so we are fighting for every single vote and we are fighting in every single part of the UK, and we are looking to get a stable majority government so we can get stuff done. Because, as I say, my, my, my nightmare every single night when I go to bed is another hung parliament, because that would just be, it would be painful beyond belief. It, it would be, be delay, for, for all of us as well, I think. Oh, if, uh, and, this is, and this is the thing. And, and so what, you know, what I say to people on the doorstep is, you know, the, the, reason, I'm, the reason I'm up here in the uh, in the northwest up in in Cumbria is because you know we know we need to fight for every single vote and and people deserve political parties to work hard for their votes um 
and we just need a stable majority. You can't govern without a majority, and that's what we're looking for. Sure. One final question, James. I know you're in a hurry. Um, the NHS Sorry. has obviously been a massive battleground for, for the Labour Party and for you guys as well. I was talking to someone from the Nuffield Trust yesterday who said any kind of encroachment onto immigration policy is going to have a massive um, overbearing effect on recruitment for the NHS. Can you explain what, what Tory party policy is on hiring people from abroad, whether from inside the European Union or not, into the NHS, because I think people are confused about what the rules are. Yeah, so the whole point of having a points-based immigration system is that we can decide uh, how many people, with what skills, in what sectors. So the NHS, my mum came from West Africa mm. and she was uh, initially a nurse and then a midwife in the NHS for a whole career. So the NHS has pretty much since the day it was created relied on a certain number of people from overseas, a certain number of immigrants um, as medical professionals and support staff. That's always been the case, and that will always be the case. But with a points-based system, we can make sure that we can recruit medical professionals, if that's what we need, and we do, from wherever in the world they come from. My mum came from West Africa, for example. But it also means that we, uh, we have control, so we can plan public services better. So we know how many families are going to be in an area um, and they're going to need school places. We can, we can set housing policy. It gives us control. And I think a lot of people I speak to, their frustration with immigration is nothing to do with racism. What it is, is a feeling that they're not in control. We don't know how many people are going to come. We don't know what skills they're going to bring. We don't know anything. With a points-based system, we can actually have much more control over the situation. And that's what people have been crying out for. OK. And finally, are you advising Boris to go on uh, television with Andrew Neil or not? Well, the, the, I mean, the problem we've got is that, um, you know, we're running out of days. And we've always said, you know, the Prime Minister's made himself available for a, a number of interviews. He's doing another one uh, this morning. But the point is, what he wants to do, what, what we want to do, is make sure he's meeting real people, getting out and about, talking to people. I... I I'm about to go and talk to people in the high street in Barrow and Furness um, and, you know, uh, stick him in a studio uh, for a day with all the logistics and preparation. That actually keeps him away from people. Um, so like, I don't know whether we're going to be able to fit it in. I know our media people are talking to the BBC's people. Um, but the bottom line is we're you know, going to be campaigning every day for this final week. Um, and as soon as the election's over, we're going to be working hard to govern properly for the British people. James, thank you very much indeed. James Cleverly, Chairman of the Conservative Party and candidate for the Conservative Party for Braintree. Uh, other candidates include Joe Beavis, Independent, Alan Jeffrey Dawkins, Independent, David James Mansell, Independent, Joshua Garfield from the Labour Party and Dominic Graham from the Liberal Democrats. More gun talk from a water pistol from the Farmer of Fury. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. Uh, this is, of course, your election station. We want to hear your voices because you're the important people who are actually going to get the next government elected. 0344 499-1000. We'll take loads more of your calls uh, as the show continues all the way through to one o'clock when Matthew Wright's going to be here. But I'm delighted to say we're now joined in the studio live uh, by Simon Calder, travel editor for the Independent. Travel guru, I like to call you, Simon. Welcome uh, to our studios here on uh, overlooking London Bridge. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's very nice to be here because normally I'm somewhere 
they're quite awkward and difficult, and um, uh, I, we quite sometimes have problems with we the do. lines. Due we to do. My end, not your end. No, exactly so speak, right. Yes. Now, if you were in France today, of mm. course, you might have problems as well because uh, there's a ma massive general strike going yeah. on. Uh, they're all uh, out on the streets waving their flags, and they do love a big demo, don't they, the French? Um, but I don't know how far um, it's going uh, in terms of distance and how long it's going to be going on for, but there's all sorts of disruptions, presumably, to anyone who's trying to get around by plane or train or bus or anything. Well, let's start with anybody who's trying to get to France. It's yeah. very tricky today. Yes, there are some flights going over there because, of course, um, there are uh, the, the, the skies aren't completely closed, but it's an absolute mess. EasyJet alone has cancelled 233 oh, flights. Oh, goodness. Um, now, a lot of those aren't even going to or from France. They're flying over it. So mm. they've cancelled flights from their main base, Gatwick, to Barcelona, to Malaga, to Murcia, a couple of flights to Milan that are cancelled. Each one of those flights, there and back, that's over 300 people mm. who are not going to be where they want to be. Um, you can add to that um, over 30 on British Airways to and from Heathrow. Right. Again, a lot of them to France, but also to Switzerland, to Italy, to, to Spain. And Ryanair's got a whole lot of cancellations as well. Um, if your flight does get there, well, then your problems are really only beginning because the public <laughs> transport has largely shut down mm. to the extent that... Do you know these, these ride-sharing apps? Yes. OK, so you basically just tap something in saying, I'm, I want to go to Lyon and... Um, uh, Somebody will magically uh, yeah, appear. Henri, will, Henri will say, oh, look, I've got space in my Citroën yeah. to take you there. Right. Um, anyway, French Railways on its website is saying... Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't bother waiting for any of our trains. Go and try Blah Blah Car, right. which is one of these um, uh, these online apps. So, yeah, everybody's and just... And how long just, is this likely to last for? Them, well, good question. Let's let's move on to Eurostar, of course, the Channel Tunnel train operator going from London, St Pancras, to Paris, to Brussels, to Amsterdam. They originally cancelled 78 trains today, tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday. They've just added another dozen cancellations on Monday and Tuesday. Blimey. And if so you've got a ticket, presumably that will be valid on another... Because I know I know people sometimes buy Eurostar tickets for a specific train. What do you do with well, that? Well, you kind of have to. But, uh, well, look, they're being quite straightforward because they're just saying, right, it's a complete mess. They've, they've cancelled, as I say, 78 trains, which represents 50,000 people. Right. And... Uh, all of those people are entitled to get either a full refund or um, they can postpone their trip. But, of course, lots of them, and I've heard from quite a number of them, have organised their own uh, accommodation mm. in Paris. They might have organised um, outings, theatre tickets or whatever, and they will lose that money unless they've got pretty robust yeah. um, travel insurance. I'm reading that much of the subway system in Paris has also been affected. Oh, and, oh, and yes. Paris is a big city, so, I mean, if you're in yeah. the wrong bit of it and you want to get into the middle, you ain't going to be able to do it. Oh, it, it, it's... <laughs> it's and, and actually, um, although uh, great tourist attractions like the Louvre and the, um, uh, the Eiffel Tower are not, their staff aren't on strike. Right. Um, their last I heard, and this is just um, checking in the last half hour or so, was that neither of them had managed to open for the day because they haven't got enough staff because their staff can't get to work. Because they can't get there. The other so, worry, of course, if you are actually there, and if you are there listening to us now, uh, you can maybe tell us how it is because you can call us, of course. Um, but the Gilets Jaunes are supposedly ah, yes. possibly joining in, which could oh. turn it all a bit uh, tricky. Well, yes, the Gilets Jaunes, it was um, just about a year ago that um, they started putting on their, their yellow vests, yes. which actually every motorist in, Paris, in, in France 
chance has to carry in their car. Right. And they started, you know, putting up blockades and st- uh, starting fires to sort of stop people travelling. And it, it's it's kind of almost their... Uh, that might be their last hurrah. It might be them saying we're still here because obviously they, they managed to force some... Uh, th- this was all to do with uh, a green policy, according to President Macron, uh, wanting to put up the price of fuel. They got that reversed. They think they are on a roll. Mm. And with these protests, uh, these strikes, which are all about um, uh, pensions reform, because, uh, well, uncharitably, somebody put it to me yesterday that they all want to retire at 43 <laughs> on the uh, yeah, on the same wage that they were getting when they left. Very nice, um, too. Uh, well, yeah, Wouldn't so we all like to do like that? that? But, um, yeah, there, there is a, a, a problem with the uh, uh, with the state's resources, and, and so there's a lot of anger and upset about that um and uh, yeah the whole place is grinding to a halt anyway and of course people who are leaping into their cars to drive somewhere might find that they don't go very far the foreign office has put out a bulletin today saying uh effectively if you're going there good luck because um it's all going to be in some disarray and of course if you see any demonstrations kicking off walk swiftly in the opposite direction (laughs) the opposite direction talking of angry uh, hordes of people there were a few angry hordes it would seem uh, at stansted last night because although donald trump has departed these shores without affecting the general election he seems to have uh, affected ryanair quite a bit he has 500 furious people who were um uh, disrupted entirely because of the u.s president so now uh, of course Talk Radio was reporting yesterday on how um, Trump left early, Mm. didn't stay for his press conference in Watford, cleared out from the NATO summit because he was cheesed off. He thought they were making fun of him. Mm. Um, And so... uh, he, I, I, you know, helicopter, I think, um, goes straight to uh, Stansted Airport. Worth saying, Mike, that the reason Stansted is chosen is that even though it's the budget airline capital of the UK with Ryanair and EasyJet and uh, so on, all, all based there, um, it's that uh, the presidential planes, and there were 10 heads and state, of state going in and out of there yesterday, um, presidential planes go there because there's a bit of space. Yes. You simply couldn't put it into Heathrow or Gatwick because the Americans' demand for, for Air Force One, we don't want anything moving. Right. Any time the aircraft is on approach, um, it's all right when it's on the ground, but once it starts moving again, you've got to clear everything. So oh, okay. Stansted actually had a gap over an hour of arrivals yesterday. Um, even though he left early, the plane managed to leave late. So the pilots who thought they were going to miss Trump and just land normally, um, uh, coming in from Limoges, coming in from Lisbon, coming in from Łódź in Poland, they got to... Uh, at the Stansted area, and the controller said, well, sorry, you can't land, you've mm. got to fly around in circles over Cambridgeshire or Suffolk or wherever. And they did a few circuits and then thought, hang on, uh, you can't hang around here all day. And um, one of them went to Birmingham and two of them went to East Midlands. Which, again, is one of those awful situations if your car's at Stansted. Oh, yes. You go, ah... And now, do they are they required if they land somewhere else to get you back to the original they airport? They are. My understanding, and I've still not been able to get uh, all the details from Ryanair. My understanding is that the planes parked on the ground at Birmingham and East Midlands. They got refuelled because obviously they they were running running low, and then they flew in about um, you know, twenty minutes or so mm. back to Stansted. But. While this was all happening, lots of other flights in disarray. Um, there was an EasyJet flight from Glasgow, flew, uh, did about 17 circuits, I exaggerate slightly, mm. before it was allowed to land. Plane in in Amsterdam stayed on the ground until they got the all clear. Air Force One has gone because mm. uh, then they could hop across and uh, 
And this remarkable—that's why I was always under the impression, and I know that Obama's used Stansted before, but I thought they always preferred it if they could to use RAF Northolt because it's a you know it's a military airbase. Oh yeah, yes. There's lots of military airbases, or even Lakenheath, which yeah. is the Americans one. right? Well, yeah. What they want is a, a, a an airfield big enough to land a 747 and yeah. you couldn't well it'd be quite exciting trying to land it at Northolt anybody who's driven past on the um, <laughs> on the A40 yes. yeah uh, that, that I'd, I'd pay to watch that um, but uh, no they, they in the past there have been presidential planes landing at Heathrow but it just messes everything up for the rest of the day. Yes, I bet, because uh, Heathrow literally doesn't have a spare yeah. inch of time, does it, to yeah, do uh, anything? So, so it lands at Stansted, and as people in North London will know, you then get a whole load of helicopters, US military helicopters, mm. flying over very noisily um, for uh, the next few days. But, um, yeah, very expensive for the airlines, very unfortunate, and, um, well, off he goes. We wish him well, and I hope he had a good flight, because uh, there were 500 people who definitely didn't. <laughs> Simon Calder, thank you very much indeed. Delightful to see you. We'll see you again soon. Uh, Simon Calder, travel editor for The Independent, talking about the big strike going on currently in France. It's a national strike. Uh, if you're going to try and get there today, I would say probably don't bother. Uh, but it may well be calmer tomorrow. Uh, but it won't be the last you hear of it because they do like a good strike over in France. And they do particularly <laughs> like them on a Monday, I've found, uh, where everything seems to be shut anyway. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, if you haven't seen the picture that I put out earlier on today, uh, fear not, because I'm going to put another version of it out. I'm going to retweet my own picture, uh, in which it says, look at the state of the tree in Trafalgar Square as I saw it last night. Now, I'm going to show this picture to David Spencer, who's sitting opposite me. He's Talk Radio's head of news, of course. Have a look at that. And can you tell me that that is the most <laughs> underwhelming <laughs> tree you've ever seen? It's sort of her hiding behind the lion. I mean, a few people have been trying to be a bit clever and go, it's a picture of a lion. But that's why you can't see the tree. Yes. Um, 
Is it actually the shape of a Christmas tree? It is the shape of a, of a, of a Christmas tree that looks as if it's been burnt, <laughs> right? And then erected with no leaves on it. It literally, you know that um, that advert for um, the very famous department store, which Absolutely. has got the little yes. creature blowing everything out. Yeah, with his, Edgar, with, yeah. Edgar with his, with his fiery breath. It looks like that. It does actually look exactly like it that looks after as though, his little yeah. incident in so, that um, I don't know whether it's sponsored by John Lewis, this tree, but uh, <laughs> if it's a free gift from Norway, I suspect we should be sending it back. Uh, yeah, exactly. Is it still a gift from Norway? Apparently because that not, was the tradition yeah, a long time I'm, ago. I'm, a couple of people have tweeted me. I, I have no way of knowing whether they're right. One of them says that it's, no, it's not a gift any longer from the king of Norway, uh, but it is a gift from the city of Oslo. Oh, okay. So we're, what, we've, maybe, we've, we maybe maybe they're having a bit of austerity there or something. We've dropped down a level in terms of where we've ordered it from exactly. to save a, a little bit of yeah. cash. Instead of getting it from the local garden centre, I'm afraid you've bought it off the street. Where guy. are they going to put the lights when they light it apparently, up tonight? The, apparently, they're going to light it up tonight. It will probably look a bit better in the dark, but it won't look any better during the day because it's very. You know, when you go and buy a tree, and I think we're going to buy one this weekend. You can either get the, 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 the very bushy ones now, yep. um, which I prefer, or you can get the ones that have got lots of space between them. Spindly, I call them. Yeah, they're spindly. Kind of... They don't look good. No. And they don't look expensive. They don't look as if they're sort of luxurious in any way. Before we get on to Christmas markets, can I just say about that experience, and I think I have got that in store this weekend as mm. well, I absolutely adore the hour and a half that I'm stood sort of, you know, doing the... of the bottom of the oh, tree, yes. on the floor, yep. holding it there and turning it around for my wife to go... Mm, Mm, yeah. It's not quite symmetrical enough. We always have a massive row. Yeah, always. It, exactly. It doesn't end well. Every year it's the same process. Last year was, I don't think we bought the right tree. <laughs> this is after everything had been put on it. I'm like, well, I am not taking it back. So you either stick with this one. You know, and we didn't have the right lights one year, so I had to go and buy a whole load of lights. Oh, there's always a set of lights that go every year, aren't mm. there? Because oh, there there's are. one bulb in the, you know, about 20 in, and yes. then that's just, oh, well, we'll just get a whole new set of lights exactly rather right. than... And we seem to have, because actually this year we went slightly uh, early with the preparations because it oh. was I, I was advised that it might be a good <laughs> idea to, to, instead of getting it all out at the same weekend as the tree, why don't we get it all out a week early? And you listened to this advice? So I went up into the loft, right, looking for... Not only all the Christmas decorations, but also my, my youngest son has his own Christmas tree that he puts in his room, which is a plastic one, right? Uh, or a reusable one, if yes, you prefer. Yes, exactly, yeah. Um, and we had this ridiculous situation where I'm shouting um, from the top <laughs> of the building, basically, down to him at the bottom of the ladder, asking him what it looks like. Because <laughs> he says, well, it's in a cardboard box. And I'm like, well, what sort of cardboard box? Well, <laughs> That's just, not very it's specific. It's a cardboard box. I'm like, does it have a tree on it? No. Um... I then have to come back downstairs. I can't because I only find one cardboard box, and that didn't have it in it. Apparently, oh, there no. was another cardboard box with a bigger Christmas tree, but that wasn't his. Um, so I then go downstairs and ask his mother, under pain of death, what's on the box? Well, gee, I think it's a white box. <laughs> In fact, I think it's got a Christmas tree shape. It's this Christmas tree shaped box. Which would be a good clue on the side. Well, it would. But I went, well, what's, what's a, what does a Christmas tree shaped box look like? Is it triangular? What is it? You know, this went on and on for ages. It turned out that we found it eventually in a sort of packing case, which was not a cardboard box at all, oh. uh, with a load of other things had been taken off the mantelpiece for Christmas. You know? You're not le your, your lesson from that is to leave it easily accessible for this magic moment ahead well, of Christmas each, each year. I suggested, right, and you might think this was quite a good idea, I, I'm afraid it wasn't welcomed. Oh. Um, I said, why don't you just get a load of stickers, right, with Santa or something on them and stick them on any box that's got Christmas stuff in it. That's a great idea. Isn't it? And you can buy that was that, stuff. that was rejected. Yeah, I, I was told that was an idiotic idea. Well, I think that this international system of box recognition certainly would work yeah. in my head. I mean, we we end up with uh, 
a stupid amount of bases to hold Christmas tree because what we went through was a, a series of years where we escalated the width of the trunk which meant that each time that you then tried to get your Christmas tree to stand up, your base wasn't big enough. So I think we have about eight yes. uh, for a period of years where we thought, right, we've now reached the limit where the Christmas tree is bending because it's reached the we've ceiling. We've got a lot of these bases as well, because in my search for the Christmas tree, I discovered all kinds of stuff in the loft, including about three different versions of a base. Yeah, exactly. And, and now we don't know which one's right or wrong or which they get, one works. They get very scientific, these bases. They're, 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 I, I noticed one this year that I have seen in a store which has got all sorts of mechanics going on at the side to make sure you know if you've got those uh, little screw-in bits that hold it in yes, place got to, those, to fill yeah. the gap now there, there was there was extra gadgets involved in this oh, one really? which meant that you could almost get make sure that your tree is straight yes. by operating there's it at the one bottom. with this kind of uh, wire isn't there that yeah. looks like the sort of stuff you use to garrote people yeah. in a in a mafia film <laughs> which is what put me off exactly i thought that could go very wrong yeah absolutely right now we're going to talk christmas markets but yeah. i've got alan on the phone who wants to tell me about christmas trees alan a very good uh, afternoon to you good afternoon graham uh, Just yeah. call me Mike, Alan, <laughs> for heaven's sake, mate. That's right, I was first time called. Thank you. Welcome, that's all right, go on. What do you want to do? What do you want to tell me? Well, that Christmas tree in Trafalgar Square, yeah. I heard you had to talk go about it this morning. Yes. And as you said, it's been lit up tonight. Yes. But also, what you've got to remember, that Christmas tree in Trafalgar Square is nearly 100 years old. What? Yeah, what do you mean? It's nearly 100. That, that's how long it takes for them to grow that high. Well, you think it'd look better than that if it's 100 years old. It looks as if it's been dead for about five years. Well, why don't you put the lights on it and it's lit out? No, have you not seen it? I mean, during the day, which is when most people are in Trafalgar Square, it looks like an old stick of, of, of stuff that's been burnt to a crisp. So the only time I've seen that is on the news last night. Yeah, it's horrible. But obviously, I... I can't remember the last time I went to, down to Fagus Square to actually see the Christmas tree lit up. Well, I wouldn't bother if I were you. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, it's really, it's really pretty unimpressive. I have to say, thanks, Alan, for your call. Uh, Susan is on the phone from Exeter. Hello, Susan. Oh, good afternoon, Michael. Good afternoon, everyone. Yes. Um, you, you, you are going to brand me very much a bar, bar, a bar humbug. Bar humbug today, Michael. Am I? Okay. Yeah. Why? Because. I'll tell you why. I am not going to have a Christmas tree or any other form of Christmas decoration in my flat this year. I'm fed up with it. It doesn't mean anything anymore. What do you mean? Christmas is all... Well, Christmas is all about, oh, you know, what presents shall I buy so-and-so? What am I going to get? Um, you know, all, all, the, all this horrible, horrible um, scenario of, of Christmas, plastic Christmas trees and, and gaudy decorations. And, yeah, but um, Christmas it's is, is it's a festival, isn't it? It can be about whatever you want. If you want it to be about giving thanks for the yeah. year, maybe giving you could gifts. do that. Giving gifts is not such a terrible thing. Why don't you just get a small, like one of those little <laughs> tiny Christmas trees, put it in... And, you know, put it on the mantelpiece or something. Yeah. No, I, I used to do all that. I used to have several of them. But I, I just, I was walking home last night um, in the dark and I just saw uh, houses with, no, I mean, I mean, some people love the, the external lights, you know, or internal lights at Christmas. But I just think, you know, what is this? It's just like a, it's it just, it's just ugly. Well, Christmas is it, ugly. It just looks ugly. 
Yeah, I mean, some of the houses. To me now. Some of the houses look like they're having a competition for outside yeah. lights. It, it, you know, the, yes. we see that in the papers each year. You kind of, if I live mm. next door to someone with that many illuminations, I think I might have to try it and find a way through to the electric. Yeah. Although, you know, when I first moved back to London and I lived in a street which looked, I lived in a, where I live, the houses are all look, sort of look very similar. Mm. And I found it quite useful. As a um, landmark. That there was a landmark right opposite where I had to get out of the cab late at night when I'd been out for a while um, because it was the house with all the lights. And I thought, all right, now I know where I am. Harder to choose that now because there are so many with those lights. Not so many in my street, actually. It's not that bad. But, I mean, um, I think you've been a bit Grinch-like, Susan, because, you know, think of, uh, think of yeah. all the good things that you could I be celebrating over Christmas. I, I, I could think of that. I could take that stance. Yes. But I do think everything's got out of hand. It's not really a hand. stance, is it? I th and I, I, I think there's nothing wrong with giving and receiving presents. It's lovely. Right. Um, as an appreciation and as a love for, uh, or affection for somebody. Yes. Um, but it's just all the other stuff. It's just, it's just gone completely mm. mad. And at the end of the day, it's one day. And what do we do? We eat and drink more. Yes. And get fat. And then we have to go on a diet. Yeah. Well, you know. Well, I'm not going to. I think you're looking at it down the wrong end of the telescope, to be honest, Susan. But thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about Christmas markets, as I've, I've had a lot of you sweets them, today. Don't you? Um, well, do you know, I, I would like a Christmas market if it was genuinely a Christmas market. But what I don't like is these kind of, you know, hastily put together knockoff Christmas <laughs> markets. I mean, actually, on the South Bank here, if you walk down mm. from the Oxo Tower towards the London Eye, there are some quite nice things going on. Well, I was going to say, I thought that when I walked along there the other day, and yeah. not everyone has a luxury of walking yeah, in London. Yeah, I haven't it's, been down there this it, year. The South Bank is very nice. And actually, in, I think, voted one of the sort of top 15 Christmas market areas right. uh, each but year. But is it German, though? Well, I think it's Christmas market based because I know from being in Germany, they, mm. they actually, I think, Germany do Christmas really well. It's a bit they annoying. Yeah. I think they do it very classily. Yes. And in fact, is today the day that they have their... Uh, where well, you have to leave a gift on the, the doorstep in Germany for the I don't know. their equivalent of I'm Santa to arrive. I think it is the 5th or the 6th. Okay. It's the start of their festivities. Mm. Um, St. Nicholas. Yeah, that's that. the, yeah, exactly. It's actually quite a scary story if you look at it. Not very Christmassy no, at all. But that's right. I've been to a market in Cologne, been to markets across Germany, Paderborn, mm. which is a village in North Germany, and uh, they're lovely. When they try and do it here... It's always that the British thing of doing a market well, I trying was, yeah, to be German. I feel it, it looks a bit like it is tatty, and this is what the um, uh, the art chiefs in London are calling the Christmas market kitsch, hurdy-gurdy, they call it, saying that the Bavarian market of 34 stalls on the north bank of Trafalgar Square, once again, um, is is raising all sorts of rows because apparently they don't, they don't think it's very posh at all. These are architects, are they? And these are experts that have used the expression hurdy-gurdy. These are people from uh, the art um, uh, the, the art industry, I think. I'm just trying to find these. I'm trying to get are. a pin the on Royal, what... Yeah, the Royal Fine Art Commission Trust. They obviously have a lexicon that I'm not fully familiar with because hurdy-gurdy, I'm not sure I can picture what that means. I, I mean, thought it was a Donovan song. Yeah, exactly, something from the hurdy 70s. Hurdy-gurdy man. Uh, yeah, exactly. I think it's something that you play, isn't it? It's like a sort of fairground style. Oh, so they're thing. saying that the, the, they, think, they feel well, a bit see, cheap I, and fairground. I think they're right. These are the people that run the Royal Academy, basically, right? So you don't want to disagree with which that. Which is on the north side oh, of, yeah. uh, of uh, Trafalgar Square. Uh, free to enter. They get a free view of that uh, tree yeah, as they well do. from there. Well, good lucky old them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the point is, right... If they can see it. That they are saying that this is basically a sort of Ertzatz, um mm. fake market. 34 stores. And I always feel that it's a bit like some kind of fairground coming to town. You know, everything's not quite what it seems. Things are not really genuine. And if they're charging you, you know, sort of six quid for a glass of glue vine, 
and you know, yeah, seven it, quid for a breakfast. It doesn't make it a German <laughs> Christmas market. You know what I mean? It comes back to what we were just hearing about the commercialisation. Now, I think markets. I I've been to Prague, for example, has an amazing Christmas market. That sounds lovely, actually. Yeah. Um, but also, the setting is slightly different. So I think your mindset is, if you're abroad, it feels yeah. slightly different when you see the equivalent in. I've been to the one in Bath, for example, yeah. which is often rated as one of the best in the UK, and it is sort of... I've had tweets from people who say it's in. one of the worst things I've ever been to. And also you can't move. No. For if it, there's one in London, the big attraction that normally comes out top of it, all the poles, you know, they have this in Hyde Park and yeah. people love it. You can hardly move when you go there. Because oh, Winter Wonderland. Yeah, I saw yeah, loads exactly. of signs for Winter Wonderland. Funny enough, shuffle, at Green Park, right? Yeah. Green Park Tube, which is quite a long way from, um, from Hyde Park. Uh, it just says... Um, exit left for um, uh, the uh, the uh, Winter Wonderland, just a short walk. <laughs> That's Which a bit of a fib. That's that, not true. Yes, it's not a short and if walk. You're, if there. you've got kids and stuff with you, I mean, it's about a mile. I think it's a short walk if you're used to walking a very long way normally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Captain Scott. De- depends on your but judgment also, of a short walk. How long before, and you're a, a news uh, a veteran, <laughs> I, 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 I don't mean that in any way of an insult, how long before we see the first sort of Winter Wonderland rip-off story, you know, where somebody around the back of Milton Keynes has opened up a farm? Yes, exactly. Uh, where Santa's lying around drunk and uh, there's only one donkey. Winter Wonderland. got three or legs like or something like that. I, yeah. I think we will see that soon. Not far from where I live, we have Lapland. Yes. Because they, they have not a Lapland. Not the real Lapland. Not the real Lapland, but they have a Lapland in Ascot, uh, which to me, knowing the area, doesn't feel like it's particularly Christmassy, but it is very, very popular. And I think if you do want to I spend some money... I bet it's expensive money, if it's in Ascot. Yeah, if you want to build up to Christmas by spending more money at these places, then that would probably be one that you would want to visit. But the kids love it. And that kind of idea of building up... I, I, well, I've always wanted to go to real Lapland, right? I, but I've that's got a friend who's expensive. It is. And I think that would be magical, but that's a special trip, isn't it, to go and do that? You don't want to recreate it in suburban Berkshire necessarily. It isn't going to be quite the same experience, no, I would imagine. It's really not. And also, my kids are a bit old now. I mean, uh, they're kind of uh, beyond the point of being lulled into a magical sense of, of Lapland being the, <laughs> the, the great place where all the elves actually work. The pictures you paint of you at the loft have have ruined all of good Christmas spirit anyway, to be honest. I've already ruined Christmas, (laughs) to be honest. But no, I mean, I love Christmas. And as I say, I was walking through London last night. I was was out for lunch and I met another friend later on. And basically I went, walked all the way down Regent Street, Bond Street, beautiful lights, you know, looks fabulous. Um, Going into Piccadilly Circus also looks great. Looking down Regent Street, south side, down towards the mall. And then down Haymarket and into Trafalgar Square, where it just looks as though it was a war zone. It looked as if they'd somehow stopped all electricity. There was nothing lit. Well, maybe they were preparing for the big switch on for this 100-year-old tree. I'd just like to say, I think in human years, that would be, obviously, if you're 100 years old, you're not going to be looking your best. I think in tree years... Well, why are we doing a 100-year-old tree up? Well, I think it's quite a good age for certain trees because that's at their prime. Mm. So we'd imagine it to look a little bit better than, uh, than it does. I think what we should do is stick to what we do well. You right. just described the sort of lights down Regent Street and yeah, Oxford Street. Yeah, the Strand looks you know, nice. All of that looks beautiful every year, yeah. whereas these markets tend to be us trying to be something we're not, and mm. then we look like we just set up a, a shed sales centre uh, in the centre of these towns. Yeah, it's just not, not right at all. And Trafalgar Square just looks, looks awful. I don't know what it's what The what lights are going wrong. to transform it this evening. Well, let's see. We may have to talk about it again tomorrow. David Spencer, <laughs> thank you very much indeed. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, 
All this talk of Christmas trees has got me feeling quite festive, I have to say. And so what better way uh, to welcome in the winter season properly uh, than by drinking some whiskey? So I've invited the three drinkers in uh, who are uh, not in any particular order. I'm going to make Helen and Nicola in the first one yes. uh, because women are much more important than men. Adrian <laughs> Smith, Colin Hamden-White. I had the pleasure of meeting you guys briefly um, when you had a very lavish launch of your... Three Drinkers' first show, I think it was, at the Dorchester, uh, where I have to say I don't go very often. Um, <laughs> and you had a massive sort of whiskey night there, didn't you? Um, we, where I drank far too much whiskey in all sorts of different forms, cocktails, um, neat cocktails. little shots, more cocktails. It was wonderful. I think we had a lot of cocktails. And you guys now do, a, you know, you basically have the greatest uh, life in the world. You do a, a, a t television show on Amazon Prime all about drinking. And you seem to drive around in a big Land Rover, um, basically just drinking wherever yeah. you stop. Pretty much the worst day of my life is always being the designated driver. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I wondered why you guys didn't have just your own driver. Um, that's hopefully coming. All right, okay. any, any offers, anybody? Well, it's also because we wanted to show that you could do a road trip around Scotland and yeah. we wanted to show how normal people would do it, which is probably with their mates taking yes. it in turns rather than mm. having a chauffeur. Yes, yeah. very true. Yeah. Helena, of course, you and I know each other from your earlier incarnation as the wine bird, which is still your incarnation. It's just one of your other things, right? Yeah, absolutely. But we're, we're all about wine as well. So you'll see hopefully in future She brought series. me a really nice bottle of wine one time, last time she came in. And it was one of those where I thought, I'm going to put this away and I'll drink it, you know, on a special occasion. But, of course, one night in London, I didn't have any other wine, so I just opened it after I'd already had a, quite a lot. And I promised myself I wouldn't look and see what it was. It turned out it was from California, uh, retail oh. £75. Very nice. <laughs> and I didn't really remember drinking it. But there we are. <laughs> anyway, so, so today, today uh, we have whiskey. You've brought three beautiful glasses in, and you've, you've already asked me to pour. There's a lovely aroma of whiskey in the studio, which is probably against some off-com rule or something. Good, but, isn't it? Um, I've got three glasses here. I've got something quite dark in the middle. To the left, I've mm -hmm. got something quite sort of um, quite light, and then something even lighter, I think, on the right. So, hey, should we start off on the lighter side? Shall we start yes. on the lighter yes. side? Why don't you explain what we're doing? Adrian, yeah, tell yes. me. Hello, so basically, we are going to get you in the festive spirit, no Good. pun intended. Right. And we are going to look through three whiskies that you have in front of you, and we're going to basically talk about the different taste sensations or the taste styles of these whiskies. So okay. I'm going to start you off on Fruity, okay. which is number one. Right. So we've chosen here Glen Murray. And the first thing about a lot of different whiskies is that they're never actually pronounced how they're spelt. So no. Murray, it's spelled M-O-R-A-Y on the bottle, but it's actually Murray. And we, we have games, don't we, when we're going through Scotland, if we can actually pronounce the name of yes. the distilleries correctly. Because <laughs> some, <laughs> some of them are a bit weird. And There's, some of them are quite rude. If you yeah, some, some of them are quite rude. Now, this one, um, now, helpfully, um, my, my name, Graham, is in one of the top clans of Scotland, right? Now, I was born in London, but both my parents are from Scotland. And so my father was a great whiskey drinker. And, and, and funnily enough, I don't drink a lot of whiskey in England, but I do, whenever mm. I go to Scotland, I just want to drink whiskey. It's something about... The place, isn't it? Yeah. The weather. It's nothing like going somewhere to really learn about the product. It's the same with wine, yeah. you know. You, you get so much more out of you actually mm. go to the place where it comes from. And I've seen yeah. um, you guys going into some of these distilleries where they have remarkable methods of sort of draining things out of barrels, you know, where they have these odd-looking contraptions where you sort of stick it in a hole oh, yes. and you bring it mm. out. Quite and phallic. Yeah, it is quite phallic. <laughs> but it's also, you also wonder, you know, what would you know, what, do, do the things crawl in there? And I mean, I don't know. It's kind of... They do. Do they? Yeah. 
they mm. um, you have you have to lightly filter whiskey before it goes in the bottle. Right. Okay. But hopefully not heavily filter it, mm. which takes out little particles which taste delicious. Yeah. Now, what is the best way to drink whiskey from from you guys' point of view? Because Ooh. sipping it is normally the way, isn't it? There are many many different mm. ways. I would first say just kind of get your nose in and around the glass to get the aromas. And mm. what you find on this one, we're starting off on the fruity side. Yes. So here we have a lot of red berries. You've got meadow fruits, and a lot of people laugh at tasting notes. Mm. They call them quite pretentious. Yes. But I think if we're trying to figure out what we actually like from a whiskey, they do help. Yes. I'm not going to tell you that it smells like freshly cut tennis balls and things like this. Right. That's a little bit too far. Okay. But, you know, fruity, nice, delicate, light red fruits on mm. this one. And it's a single malt. Okay. It's going to cost you around 20 quid. Now, that is amazing. Bad, is mm. If you're starting off and getting into whiskey, Glen Murray, original, this is where I'd say you go. Okay. So do you want me to sip it? Do you want me to knock it back? I would love you to take a little sip. A yeah. little sip. I want you to take a little sip and just move it around your tongue, but don't think about it and swallow. Right. That's okay. the first taste test which we don't even think about. Mm. It's your second taste test that you're then going to put it in your mouth mm. again, move it around your tongue. That's where you'll get the nuances. Okay. Because you've already got your tongue used to the whiskey. Yes. It's not going to be harsh. I'm feeling a little warmth uh, already. <laughs> Yes, down through the old gullet, as yeah. we call it in Scotland. I think one know, thing we say about tasting whiskey is that once you've got used to the whiskeys that you like, have it any way you want. Yeah. It doesn't need to be in a, in a posh glass or um, in a tumbler or with, with ice, out ice. Coca-Cola? And everybody's got a, a story, haven't they? I, I knew a guy where once who told me that the best way to drink malt whiskey is to have a pipette of water with it. Mm. So literally just drop, I mean, like, of course you're going to carry around a pipette with you wherever you go. Well, Helen has got a trick for that, actually. If you've not got a pipette... Episode 7, mm-hmm. coming out tomorrow. Really? Um, yeah, yes. How timely. It is, actually, very <laughs> timely, isn't it? Yes. coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you basically, if you have a glass of water, if you have a straw, you know, just put your, your, your oh, finger yes. over the top of it, instant pipette. You see, I've seen cocktail uh, waiters doing that, and or cocktail mixers, mixologists doing that, and I've tried it, and it's not as easy as it looks. That <laughs> business of you know, you know, doing some kind of scientific experiment with liquid in a straw. There's a bit of an act to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably not very good at things like that, but anyway, um, <laughs> I've had the second sip now, um, mm-hmm. and I can see what you mean. I now and the warmth is now kind of all over me. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's just because we're here. It's a, it's that a Christmas is, that's warm. A warm yeah. feeling. <laughs> it's a really good nice, place though. to start that one, mm. I think. Because it normally, is. as well, I, I see whiskey as a kind of a nighttime drink. It's not something that I'm normally doing during Ooh. the waking hours or during the daytime hours. There anyway. are breakfast whiskeys too. Are there? Well, you put them on You've your been porridge. in Scotland too long. <laughs> well, you know, there are people who like to put whiskey in haggis. And when mm. you serve oh. the haggis, you put a little whiskey in it, which can be nice. Yeah. Well, I thoroughly whiskey, recommend that. Highly whiskey and food goes well, very well together. Mm. Yeah. Porridge, mm. I believe. They put it in porridge in the morning as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Third whiskey we're going to taste that. goes well with porridge. Yeah. So, um, I like this. I don't think I've ever had it. And I've, I'm, I'm not, I would not call myself in any way an aficionado of whiskey, but I have had quite a lot of different whiskeys. I lived in Scotland for quite a few years. Um, in Glasgow, I used to edit the uh, Scottish Daily Mirror. So I was up there oh, for nice. about six or seven years. And um, every because everything's so close, you would take mm. off from Glasgow at the weekend and just sort of find your way to Skye or somewhere. Because up there, they also, they like to be regional about their malts, don't they? In they, terms of Speyside and all that. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's becoming a little less regional and more about flavour these days. Oh, OK. Because I think some people find the regions a little hard to decipher. Um, but now it's much more about flavour, which is mm. what we're going through today in the three distinct styles. So does it matter style. less where this one's from then, the, the Murray? Yeah, I think so. Is it from yeah. Murray? Is it from the Murray Firth? It is, yeah. yeah. It's in Elgin. So just yeah. next door to the Murray so Firth. I told you I was an expert in Scotland. <laughs> you <laughs> certainly are. Very good. Very <laughs> right, indeed. so shall we try the second one? Yeah, now, this absolutely. is much darker. Yes, it is. But we wanted to show, as Colin said, three 
clear styles of Scotch whiskey. Yeah. Number one being a brilliant place to start, mm-hmm. single malt if, you, if you're not sure what you like yet. Now, number two is my, well, one of my preferred favourite styles. It's the Dalmore. This is, I, know, I cheated years. slightly. I saw you pouring this one in and it's one of my favourites as well. Yeah. I discovered it, funnily enough, in Scotland. Mm. Um, had never really heard of it much. My father was very much of a sort of Glenmorangie man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to quite like Laphroaig when I first started drinking it. But that's mm. very dark, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's very smoky, yeah. very peaty. So this one... This one, to me, is all about Christmas cake. It's yeah. the sherry cask finish that really gives it that lovely, rich Christmas cakey flavour. It's mm. a real mm. classic Highland style. It's, yes. it's not far from It's Inverness. interesting because I can... Tasting the different ones in front of you guys, I can taste the, the difference, as it were, mm. because well, I'm concentrating on it. I think we, it's always a good idea to have several open at the same time and taste the difference. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree with <laughs> We call it market research. Yes. Yeah. So oh, how would you describe this one, then? Yeah, well, I, Christmas cake is obviously is the, the biggest note. It's rich in colour. For those of you that can't see it, it's kind of orangey, mar- dark marmalade, yeah. mm. dried fruit, a little bit of chocolate and fudge in there too. It's not that smoky, peaty style. Mm. It is the it's spicy... Quite, it, even though it looks cups. heavy, it tastes light, doesn't it? Mm. That's, I think, what I like about it. It's yeah, not, exactly. It doesn't... Because some of the very dark ones taste a little bit almost sort of sticky to me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, like, more like brandy, do you know what I mean? Mm. Yes. These have been beautifully finished. Um, at, up at the Dalmore, they, are, they, are, they do amazing things with casks. They've got great yeah. relationships with sherry casks. Well, yeah, sh- it, well casks in sherry generally. Yeah. A company called Gonzalez. Is it true us. that I was told this story once that sherry was a sort of invention of the transportation of wine from Portugal uh, and Spain back to, Scot- to, to Britain using whiskey barrels and the reason that they fortified, the wine became fortified and it was kind of an accident I don't know if that's true, but it's a great story. To stop it going off, really? To stop it going off, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Um, with, with port, they'd add, add spirit in it to stop it going off, right. which is why it's so strong okay. in comparison to wine. And the but whiskey yes, right. process, because I, I'm, I've always been surprised by the way things are made. You know, when I went to a, um, um, the mum's calves in uh, Reims to see how they make champagne, they add this kind of liqueur thing to it, which I didn't know anything about. Do they add anything to this? Because whiskey effectively would be white spirit normally, mm. wouldn't it? Yeah. They, know, they add nothing to it. The colour purely comes from the oak, okay. the cask that it's in. Just from the cask, yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So these, these guys don't. Some people do put a little bit of golden colourant, yes. like caramel colourant mm. in there. And that's because when you're ageing it in a cask, the colour can vary from year to year, so they want it to look consistent. Right. But these guys, it's purely from the cask. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if, it's, now? if it is a dark wine cask, or so maybe a port cask finish or something like that, there might be a slight hint from the from the wood again. It, right. It's natural because, because of the, the, that dark red wine that's right. being in there. But it'll be very subtle and it'll be natural. Okay. So on to the third one then. Okay. So the third it's all one... going down very well. Which is <laughs> the third one is, I suppose, what most people consider to be whiskey because it's smoky. Mm. Um, and it comes from Isla. It's called Ardbeg. Yes. And it's a newish expression called Anoa. And it's an expression that they wanted to try and get people into smoky whiskey with because Ardbeg can be very smoky. Mm. But they've used Madeira casks with this, which softens it up a little bit so that it's not too in your face. Okay. Mm. So if, you, if you're tasting it this... It smells slightly different again, doesn't it? Mm. It's that peatiness. You might have heard of you know, smoky or peaty. Mm. It's the same sort of thing. It's a classic friler, isn't it, Colin? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, They, they use peat yeah. to dry the barley, which really gives it that flavour. Mm. I've known about this one. I don't think I've ever had it. Mm. It's, it's probably closer to the Laphroaig that you started mm. off with all the, uh, back in the day. Mm. It's lovely. Absolutely. I actually yeah, really quite, like that. It's quite maritime, really quite like saline. Maybe, I because the Dalmore's kind of familiar. This one's mm. not, so mm. maybe that's why I'm liking it. This is on the total opposite end of the spectrum from the first ones that you tried, definitely. Mm. Okay. Yeah. It's, as these guys say, it's that peat. It's almost medicinal in a yeah. way that jumps out yeah. of the glass. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people can be Marmite when it comes to 
whiskies from Ireland. Yes, definitely they can love them or hate them, yeah. but you mm-hmm. definitely seem to be on the love kind of side. <laughs> I definitely am. Well, I mean, anything around Christmas time that involves drinking spirits is always good, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Now, here's your chance to tell us about the show. So, another one out tonight. Um, yeah. Yes. Tell us where, what you're doing. Um, and so, Helena, what did we get up to on our latest adventure? Oh, yes. Yeah, so, we went back to Scotland. The, four, the first four episodes launched at the beginning of the year, and then, uh, yeah, tomorrow we've got another three. Okay. So, we start in the Isle of Jura, right next to Isla, which mm-hmm. has one distillery, one pub, one everything, and it's right. amazing. And then we, we take a road trip through Glasgow and then up to Inverness. We go to Dalmore. In fact, we go to all of these places. Um, and then we end up in Edinburgh. There's okay. A little bit more travel, a little bit more tourism, food and um, crazy nice. activities. There's some good restaurants in Edinburgh. Did you attend any of those? Yeah, yeah, we certainly mm, yes. did. We were lucky enough to be staying at, um, at the Kimpton Charlotte Square as well. So oh, very nice. Yeah, that was, uh, nice food. Yeah. Very nice. I love the witchery there. That just to be oh, one of my hangouts. Yes, that's uh, I mean, that, all of Edinburgh is lovely. But, uh, well, listen, great to see you guys. Thank you so much. It's the Three Drinkers Do Scotch Whiskey. It's on Amazon Prime. It is, yes. So if you've signed up to Amazon Prime because you wanted the football, right, you, <laughs> you, can, now get, you can now get the whiskey. Get the whiskey, yeah. Fantastic stuff. Well, thank you, guys. Um, I shall spend the rest of the afternoon drinking the rest of this. Helen Nicklin, Adrian Smith, Colin Hamden White. Have a look at it uh, on uh, Amazon Prime. It's a great show. It's very amusing. And it's all about whiskey and drinking and fun. <laughs> we'll be back, meantime, for more fun tomorrow when it'll be only six days uh, till the nation decides on the election. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.